Hey, I'm Summer Shepherd with No Seriously, How Do I Do This? And this week we are doing something a little different. Normally, new episodes come out on Fridays. And if you're paying attention to your feed, today is Wednesday. Uh, we're releasing a little bit early in light of what unfolded yesterday in Uvalde, Texas. As a parent, there are some very big questions I'm asking. There are some very big hurt I am carrying. And this is a conversation that I feel like we need to have. We need to have a safe place where we can talk, where we can vent, where we can bang on the doors of heaven and say, God, why? Because it's not just the world that doesn't know God looking at us, me like, how could your God let this happen? Let's be honest. There are moments where even as believers who love Jesus in our pain from our knees, we look up to heaven and we say, God, why? Now I'm going to warn you right now. This conversation is not going to get tied up with a bow. We don't have all the answers, and it's okay to sit with that. I invited Dr. Melissa Mork back to the podcast as just a trusted friend to process with. And so I hope that you find encouragement in this conversation. If you are still too raw after the events of what unfolded, I understand. And please, you're not hurting anyone's feelings if you need to skip this episode. But if you need to feel seen in your pain right now, I'm here to tell you, you are not alone. So, Melissa, I want to thank you so much for being here. Really last minute, you know, I, I messaged you last night as I was sitting with the news of what happened in Uvalde and just hurting. I don't have the answers. This is big. I'm like, I need to talk to, I need to talk to Dr. Mark. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is when you asked me, my gut was... My gut reaction was, no, I don't have any words. I have no expertise in this. And then as I was processing it this morning with my husband, he said, well, nobody does, but you do understand mental health and grief and trauma. So maybe you do need to show up. So I guess yeah. that's why I'm here. I don't have any answers. I have no platitudes yeah. And that's important. That's so important to sit with. It's just the reality that, yeah, nobody does. And, and that's where, you know, I'm going to be honest, when I heard what happened, and as we record this, it really broke last night. That's when the world found out. So far, 19 children and two adults. My immediate inclination was to hide. Like when I, when I hear this kind of yes. stuff, especially as a mom, of kids that age. It's, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I recognize I need to set boundaries here. I don't open the articles. I don't read the news. I stay off Facebook, but then I'm like, I, I feel like I can't. I, I know that I'm not the only one sitting there asking, no, seriously, how do I do this? How do I sit with this? How do I grieve this? How do I process this? How do I face this? And how do I then turn around and parent my children? Yeah. through this. And I think that's where I'm sitting right now is I have young kids, Melissa, right? I have a seven-year-old, I have a five-year-old, and then I have toddler twins. When everything happened with the police brutality and everything, for that, I had to make a decision. I'm like, do I, do I talk to my kids about mm -hmm. why I'm crying right now in the living room? And I made that decision. And we talked about racism and we talked about hatred and we talked about evil and this time around it's just different I'm like I don't even know 
if I'm supposed to talk to my kids about this. Right. It's, it's so large. The news is almost too large for you and me to handle as adults with wisdom and uh, an ability to cope. It's hard enough for us to wrap our heads around how does a five-year-old and a seven-year-old wrap their heads around it. I think if you do feel compelled to talk to your children about this, you have to use very kind language and reassure their safety. But yeah, I think you're asking a really good question. Do they even need to know because this is so large? And their innocence is too precious. And it was hard last night when I first heard, I think around the same time the rest of the world heard, I was wrestling with that question and I decided not now, not now, not now, not until I talked to Melissa. (laughs) Like I just, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I need to pray about it. I need to process it myself. And so I go out and I make dinner. And my kids are ornery and they're fighting and, and there's something about mommy that seems wrong, but we don't know what it is. And, and I'm trying really hard to be normal, but how do you be normal? And then as they're going to bed, they got in a really big fight. And I am just so much more upset about that than I normally would have been. Because in my head, I'm like, you don't know how quickly your sister could be taken away. What would happen? How would you? You guys don't get it. You love each other. So love each other. And I just, I look at my precious kids and I try so hard not to imagine, not to picture it, but how do you not? And so I know that there are are families, there are parents, there are humans around the world right now who are hurting and just like me are looking at their own children and feeling guilty to thank God that, you know, at least mine are okay. And and not knowing even how to hold that kind of survivor's guilt in light of something like this. Right. Um, I was listening to another radio show this morning and the male host was, he was weeping. And he said, my kids were spicy last night. They were ornery and it was, you know, bedtime was hard. And he said, all I could think of was there are 19 parents, sets of parents out there wishing they had one more night of orneriness and difficult bedtimes. It's incomprehensible. This whole thing is just so incomprehensible. And I I had made that decision. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about it. If they find out somehow, which, you know, I'm pretty confident that their 4K and first grade teachers aren't having this conversation in class, but you know, I'll, I'll address it then. As I was rushing to get to our interview, Melissa, I was in the car. I had to pick up my daughter from school and she's in the car and I'm on the phone with someone and I'm like, yeah, I'm about to do an interview about what happened in Texas. And all of a sudden from the backseat, wait, what happened in Texas? And I'm like, oh no, oh no, no. And so we get home and my daughter is not one to kind of let that stuff go. If there's information she feels like she doesn't have, she pushes, she presses. And so I found myself in my driveway trying to figure out, okay, well, I wasn't planning to do this, but, uh, make her promise that she's not just going to go and divulge everything to her five-year-old sister. And I'm sitting there in the moment with zero prep. Right. Somebody hurt a lot of people yesterday. <laughs> just mm-hmm. like, uh, and all true. Yeah. we're all trying to figure out how to deal with that. And the, and the police are working on it, but you're safe. And she goes, mm-hmm. well, well, how did he kill him? I didn't say he killed him. Oh, okay. So what happened? Were they kids? And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Like what are you doing? Your daughter. I know she's just. So she, I had to sit there and be like, 
there there was a uh, there was a yeah, he, uh, he it was a, a gun and and she's like well was he just playing with it or did he do it on purpose and i'm like i am not ready for this lord like i just and i think yeah. that as parents sometimes we are just so caught off guard in the moment and we feel like i should always be ready i should always be on i should always have a plan but then every once in a while yeah. something horrendous and horrible happens and I don't care how much you've prepared, you can't be prepared for this. As my daughter is looking at me asking for information and the truth that I hold is that baby, they were the same age as you. Yeah. It could have been you trying so hard to block myself from going there. So Melissa, here's the thing. We're not promising any answers. We're not promising any resolution. I don't think this is an episode that is going to get tied up with a bow, but I feel like it's important to have the conversation. How do we know when, what, and how to share with our kids when something like this happens? Boy, that's a big question. And it's all, it all comes down to the age of the child, their developmental level, the vocabulary that they can comprehend. But all it really comes down to is that they can trust that you are telling them the truth and they can trust that you will do everything you can to continue to protect them. You can't promise their safety. Those, those 19 sets of parents could not promise their children's safety and the others who were terrorized by this and will never be able to, I mean, their innocence is gone from having witnessed it. We can't make false promises, but we can tell our children the truth in language that they can comprehend, but only on an as-needed basis, I guess. And I think that's what happened with you today was... You had to disclose on an as-needed basis because you have a very curious, intelligent daughter who asked yeah. the questions. Do you think for parents whose kids are a little older than mine, I know mine are little, for someone who has preteen or, or teen kids, I mean, do we assume that they are hearing about this today from yes. friends, from social media? And so is it more important for older kids to be able to sit down and be like, look, Let's address this. You and me, I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen because I know you know. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about it. Is it more important to do that intentionally with older kids? You know, it's appropriate, I think, to ask them, did you hear? How much do you know? And do you need to process it with me? So rather than sitting them down and lecturing them or having a serious talk with them, if they don't, if it's not on their radar, maybe it doesn't need to be. But if it is, just check in with them. How are you doing with this information? Do you have any questions? I don't know if I have answers, but do you have questions? I think it's appropriate to just inquire to see how much they know and to make sure that they have accurate information because myths and exaggerations can take place. So you just want to make sure that they have accurate information. What is our responsibility in those conversations to communicate to our kids? Like you mentioned earlier, to make sure that they know that they're safe and that we'll do what we can to protect them. Is there anything else that we should be prepared to bring into those conversations that our kids need from us in that moment? I think they need to know that we are able to locate resources for them. In other words, if one of their friends is acting odd And they're like, I don't know what to do with this information. I don't know what to do with this friend. I don't know how to help them. That they can come to you and say, mom, I'm worried about 
Jack, he's acting kind of strange lately. And we, we don't know what those kids are facing in the, in the classroom and on social media, as much as we try to manage that. And as much as we try to maintain some semblance of control, it's very difficult. And so we need to have the relationship with our child that allows them to come to us as a safe place. We need to have the kind of relationship where they can talk to us without fear of recrimination or punishment if they have a friend that's that they're associated with that is struggling. And I think it's important, like you mentioned, letting them know that we can find them resources. I think that takes some of the weight and responsibility that we may feel we are carrying to be all things for them, to be able to fix it for them, to be able to protect them. I think that's something that I struggle with. You know, with Adrian deployed, my daughter, my middle child, she struggles every time I go to the gym. She struggles anytime I need to leave the house because she doesn't want me away from her. And I have four kids and they all feel that way from time to time. And I can't be all things for them. And so I've been trying to find freedom for myself to be like, it's okay. I was never called to be their sufficiency. And I think that when it comes to areas of you know, mental health or areas where they need to let us know what their friends are going through, et cetera, yeah, we don't have to be the expert for them. Some of us are just, we're not equipped for that, but we can find them the help. Absolutely. And as an example, my 17-year-old son has been having some very serious struggles and I am equipped to help. I do have the expertise to help, but that as his mother is not my job. My job is to be that child's mother, to love him lavishly, to feed him, to nourish him, to create safety, and then find the experts who can help him. Just like if he had kidney disease, I'm not the one who could fix that. There is dialysis. There are experts in the field who can help him. So as parents, our job is not to fix or repair or have solutions to the tougher questions, but we know where to access those solutions. I remember uh, reading up on this today because <laughs> I couldn't face it yesterday. And then it was kind of one of those, all right, make sure my coffee is strong, make sure I'm feeling comfortable. And here we go. Let's dive in to prepare for this interview. And one of the articles I was reading was about a girl that the shooter was texting. And she's a minor, she's young, and he would tag her in photos of guns. And, and he was implying, hey, I've got this thing I'm going to do. And, and she was concerned and she was trying to get him to tell her what it was. What are you planning? What's going on? And so she was carrying this crazy burden. And I can't imagine what it's like for her today to be this this person as a child herself and then hearing what happened on the news. I mean, that's a weight of responsibility I can't imagine carrying. And she is a child. Oh, Melissa, I can't even wrap my mind around this. You know, I was in junior high and then high school in the season post Columbine. But now, last year alone, there I looked, there was 249 school shootings. And this is wow. such a different world. I guess what I'm asking is, what am I not asking? What, what are things mm -hmm. that, as parents, we haven't even thought like, hey, we need to prepare our kids for this side of things as well? I don't know. As I was praying and preparing for what to say today, I just kept coming up with no words. 
no answers, no solutions. I, if we knew what the solution was, we would be on it. We would be scrambling to provide it to every school, to every angsty teenage kid. We don't know. And then somebody asked me um, this morning about this as a mental health issue. And of course, we look at this behavior, we look at this event and it's insanity. It's crazy. But is it a mental health issue? I can't do a psychological autopsy on this young man. I don't have any information. And even if I did, I couldn't, I couldn't make any kind of diagnosis. I want to address the fact that people who kill, people who murder, people who do this, they are not mentally ill necessarily. I mean, statistically, we know that people with serious and persistent mental illness are more likely to be victims of violent crimes, not perpetrators of violent crimes. Mm. This was an evil act. This was a malicious act. This was definitely a crazy act, but was it the act of somebody who was in an active episode of mental illness? Don't know. That's that's not the explanation. Yeah. Because what that does is creates more stigma around those teenagers who are struggling with mental illness. And I think that is a huge risk coming out of a situation like this. And that's another layer. As I'm peeling back everything I'm grieving today, mm-hmm. that's another piece because I feel like as a reaction to horrific events like this in an attempt to justify and to reconcile and to process we seek to apply blame in ways that are more destructive than anything. And we see this in instances of police violence. Well, Mm -hmm. all police are bad guys. And it's such a dangerous road to go down. And when it comes, yeah, to mental health, I'm just, I fear so badly for that. I, I fear how things will become politicized on either side of the aisle. I fear how... People will just start using the pain that they're feeling as a way to turn against each other. And I think that's where Satan wins. I feel like that is where so much more insult is added to the injury and everything becomes more difficult. And so I guess where I I really want to land, because I know there aren't answers, but as believers, what is our responsibility? When we hear our teenagers When we listen and we see that they are in pain, when we see that they are struggling with anxiety or depression or other issues common to mental illness among adolescents, rather than being dismissive or saying it's a lack of faith or you just need to spend more time praying, which are all excellent pieces of advice, but not solutions to mental illness, just like I can't pray away your poor eyesight, you're still wearing glasses. It's not a lack of faith that you're wearing glasses. This is just the reality of living in the fall of humanity. And then when there is a child who is struggling and saying, I want to go shoot up a school, we have destigmatized this to the point where we know how to locate help. We know how to access those resources. We know who to talk to. We know who to call. But as a church, we're not there yet. One of the things that we as Christians, as the church can do is to be as upfront and open and honest about mental health issues as we are about our physical health issues. Like people are talking about their blood pressure and they're talking about their diabetes and they're, you know, they're talking about their health issues all the time. But when it comes to mental health, we're very, very quiet. And what would you say to the parents who 
hear about stories like this, and if we are being honest, though we know we shouldn't, though we know it's not the correct response, we are filled with fear and pain and anxiety. You know, like the Bible tells us that we shouldn't fear and we should just trust and God is good. And, and we know all of that. We know all of that. But how do you hear stories about kids the same age as your kids in an elementary school that just could have as easily been their elementary school and not go there with our minds and figure out how on earth can I restructure my whole life so I can homeschool so my kids are just how do you keep from spiraling? And what would you right. say to those parents today who are spiraling? Well, first of all, can I just acknowledge that Jesus was afraid, right? Jesus was afraid. He experienced terror as he was facing the cross. Paul was afraid. Peter was afraid. All of these characters in the Bible who we are seeking to emulate, they were all afraid in the context of true trauma and terror and threat. To say we shouldn't be afraid, that's baloney. That's baloney. Yeah. Of course we should be afraid because this is a threat. This is terrifying. The thought of our child being put at risk is terrifying. Let's just name it for what it is. Today we are terrified. It's okay to sit with that. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to press into that pain and explore it. The sin would be in ruminating on it to the point where you are paralyzed. That's where the problem exists. So what do we do? We take a deep breath. We hug and kiss and smooch our children to the point where they're fighting to get away from us. But we have to just embrace those kids. And then we have to take control of what we can and let go of the rest. There is not a lot you can control in this life. There's a couple things you can. You can control how deeply you're breathing right now. You can control the words you use with your children when you're frustrated. You can control the way you interact with your spouse. You can't control how he interacts with you, but you can control how you interact with your spouse. There are very few things you can control and it all comes down to you. And the rest you have to just hold loosely in your hands. When my son, I mentioned that he was struggling and he was struggling with suicidality, to be honest. And I was talking with a dear friend of mine and she said, what is the worst thing that could happen? And I said, my child could die. And she said, and then what? I said, well, you would, I believe you would be in heaven. And she said, mm -hmm. and then what? And she kept pushing me to really explore the worst case scenario. And it turns out the thought of my child dying as terrifying as it is, I would still be putting one foot in front of the other. I would still be waking up in the morning and doing the next thing. I don't want to be dismissive of the depth of pain a parent feels at the loss of their child. But to be frank, it happens and those parents endure it. And the glory of God is made manifest in that resilience and strength. And so do not become paralyzed in the fear of what could potentially happen when it is outside of your control. Take control of the things that you can. And let go of everything else. Hold it loosely in your hands. But what you can control is how much you lavish that love on your children today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. And I would uh, ask if I can, would you be willing to just close our chat with some prayer? I feel like the world kind of needs 
some prayer right now. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we come to you in so much pain, confusion, desperation. Our compassion for these parents in Texas is so deep, and yet even that frightens us because we don't we don't want to get too close to the reality of how horrifying this is. Lord, I pray for peace. I pray for peace for the parents, for those children who were a witness to this. I pray for peace for the, the families, the extended families, the community, all those who are rallying around. But I also pray for peace for the listeners, all of us who are sitting with this angst and pain and fear that maybe it will touch our lives too. Lord, I pray for the peace that passes all understanding, that kind of peace that you have given us in the past that we've experienced and we've thought this doesn't make any sense. Lord, we crave that peace today. I ask for that. For everyone who is hearing my voice, Lord, I pray that you give them that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How do you talk about it? Do you talk about it? When do you talk about it? How old do they need to be? How long should you go? What should be covered? What should be skipped? How do you as a parent carry the burden of the weight of the pain that you're feeling? Do you show your kids, don't you? How do you bring it to God? Is he listening? Is he good? When situations like what happened in Uvalde unfold, we all find ourselves in that place asking those questions. And you know what? I don't want you to feel isolated if you are struggling today. And so I hope that you know that the whole world is struggling with you. And if you do have questions, if you do have pain and you need someone to pray with, feel free to shoot me an email. Summer at seriouslyhow.com. But while we might not have all the answers, we trust, know, and love the one who does. And while it might be hard to really sit with today, we can trust that God was on the throne yesterday. He's still on the throne today. He'll be on the throne tomorrow. And we might not understand the why behind the circumstances that happened, not not in a way that allows those circumstances to just be written off. But I, for one, very much look forward to the day that Jesus comes back (laughs) and there is no more pain. There is no more sadness, disappointment, or school shootings. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you.